The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I hope your weekend was a winning one. We certainly got to watch some uh, outstanding racing from coast to coast. Of course, Delmar and Saratoga kind of closing the curtain on their meets. Uh, They will be missed. We got to see some great action all summer long and uh, some excellent action last weekend. So uh, we will review uh, the races that we handicap with my friend Steady Eddie Ed Meyer out at Delmar. It was the Delmar debutante. And then, of course, we went up to the spa for a slew of races, uh, the Bernard Baruch, the forego, and the boxing match called the Woodward. Uh, really lucky to land uh, my guest today, uh, one you've heard frequently, and that's Byron King from the Daily Racing Forum. And uh, Byron uh, is uh, one of the top handicappers. I love reading his articles in the Daily Racing Forum. And he's uh, down there uh, in Louisville. And uh, so with Churchill Downs opening, going to try to pick his brain for the baby races down there. Uh, Churchill starting their meet now that they have a uh, September date. And we are going to look at the Grade 3 Iroquois. That's for boys going a mile on the 16th. And then the ladies at a mile on the 16th will go to post in the Grade 2 Pocahontas. From there, we're going to skip around the country a little bit. Louisiana to Downs has a little old race called the Super Derby, $400,000 purse there. And then uh, in Kentucky, another track's opening up for thoroughbreds, though it's a very much of a brief boutique meet, and that is Kentucky Downs. It's the Dueling Grounds Derby. As you recall, uh, the original name of Kentucky Downs was Dueling Grounds. But our first guest out of the gate, I'm very uh, honored to have uh, Bill Tomlinson, who is the CEO and president of Keeneland. Uh, there's so much that's going to be going on uh, at the uh, Keeneland track. And of course, we know that the track surface has come up, but it's very unique and like nothing else as far as a dirt track is concerned. It will Find out what went into that. Uh, they have some literally groundbreaking uh, techniques that they used in uh, putting the track surface together. And then we've got the Keeneland Sale. That kicks off on Monday. I'll be down there. hope to have some reports for you. And, of course, uh, part of that track surface coming up uh, certainly probably helped the Breeders' Cup decide that they're going to be back there next year. So, uh very uh, honored to have Keeneland President uh, Bill Thompson uh, with us. So uh, two, two good guests, a top handicapper and a top racing executive. Well, let's take a look at, uh, hey, hope you 
went up to winning pon- ponies and got your easy win forms this week. I'll just talk about uh, a few of the recent ones over the last week. Uh, at uh, Los Alamitos, we had a $2 pick six that paid $4,200. Uh, over at Indiana Grand, a $1 super. We wanted to key that one, and we got just 70 cents short of $3,000 on that one. And going out west at Del Mar, had a dollar super that paid $1,940. So uh, don't forget the the easy win forms are a great way to go and obviously uh, giving out some excellent winners. Well, let's get on to news of the week, starting with the fact that Calumet Farm continues to uh, load up their roster. And um, the newest one that has been announced is that Preakness winner Oxbow is going to move to Calumet in 2015. If you think back in history, uh, there was uh, eight Preakness winners, I believe, that were campaigned by Calumet that ended up... uh, Standing there, World Away in 41, Pensive in 44, Faultless in 47, uh, The Great Citation, uh, Fabius, Tim Tam, Forward Pass, and now he will be the first Preakness winner since Tim Tam to stand at the farm. Of course, Oxbow, a grade one winning millionaire, classic winner by Awesome again, uh, Started early, winning early. Then he won the, the 2013 uh, Preakness, and uh, in that race, he beat some nice little horses while getting a 106 buyer figure. Horses by the name of Orb and Will Take Charge. Expo was the uh, runner-up in in the Belmont Stakes, uh, but he was the only three-year-old to finish first or second in multiple Triple Crown races that year, and uh, it. His fee has yet to be announced down there at Historic Calumet Farm. Well, top jock of the week, according to Jockey Talk 360, it was John Velasquez. Nice week. He won four graded stakes races at Saratoga over the Labor Day. I guess we could call that a labor of love. Of course, uh, on Saturday, we'll get into this race a little bit more. I sure hope you saw it. He teamed up with two-time horse of the year, Wise Dan, in the Bernard Baruch. Uh, Sunday, he won the Grade 3 Glens Falls Stakes. And on Monday, he won the Grade 1 Hopeful on Competitive Edge, as well as the Saranac Stakes on Ring Weekend. In all, he won eight races during the week. So he gets Jockey Talk, Jockey of the Week, and deservedly so. Moving on to other uh, jockey news. Uh, the... 1,000 mark has been reached by Jesus Sanchez when he rallied just yesterday to score a head victory in the eighth race at Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races. So he got his win 1,000, always a, uh, a great feat for any rider. And uh, he's in his 14th season arising now, Sanchez. Now he's won 1,000 races from 9,400 mounts, earning over $16 million. And uh, he does very well at Charlestown. Um, he won the riding title there uh, back in 2000. Uh, so congratulations to him. Now uh, the word is out on the Los Alamitos Futurity, and they've been brought into the fold of the Kentucky Derby races uh, that will have points. So it's been added to the list of races uh, that 
have the road to the Kentucky Derby. Right now, it's a series of 35 uh, select races. Uh, there's 19 what we call prep season races, 16 championship series races, and uh, then it, it, it moves on up. It, the, the points get bigger and bigger, as you know, over the last two years. Um, and it's really it's really worked very very well. So those early races, the winner gets uh, ten points. Then the championship series it moves up to to fifty, and then uh, and then one hundred points. So also the Los Alamitos Futurity on December twentieth uh, has been added uh, to get points there. So kudos to the people out at Los Alamitos. Well, uh, we're going to start getting points this week. It'll be one of the uh, races. That I'll be handicapping with, with Byron, and that would be the Iroquois, and that is a race that is a win and you're in. Of course, uh, the Iroquois named after the first American bred that uh, won the famed English Derby going back a ways, 1881, uh, but uh, we'll get points for running in the Kentucky Derby. So this is one of the two-year-old races that kind of kicks it off. Uh, it kind of starts the Breeders' Cup winning your in Juvenile Challenge uh, division. And uh, also, of course, because those races are being run, that means Churchill is opening up its doors this weekend. And uh, they're going to kick it off with a, one of the downs after dark uh, nights. Uh, this one with kind of a college theme. And uh, fans are encouraged to... Uh, show their school pride by wearing their team colors. So uh, hopefully everybody will get along there. And But so uh, Churchill, while they're kicking off their meet, they are not the only track opening in Kentucky. Uh, we've got, of course, Kentucky Downs, which, uh, you know, I told you you got to put this on your bucket list. It's just a fabulous track uh, with the undulating European-style turf course. It's going to be interesting because jockeys are coming in from all over the place uh, to ride. Uh, the, the money that they're, they're putting out is just uh, phenomenal. We're going to be looking at the, the Dueling Park Derby, but uh, it's uh, it's just amazing. And uh, Every day they're open, they're having something special. Of course, on Saturday, September 6th, uh, there's going to be family fun activities. they got the Dueling Grounds Derby, the Kentucky Downs Juvenile Philly, and uh, the Kentucky Downs Juvenile. Then on Wednesday, September 10th, going to be a Hall of Fame day, a lot of Hall of Famers there. And then uh, moving on to Saturday the 13th, uh, that's probably their biggest race day. Uh, they're going to be giving out a million dollars in purses in just their stakes races alone. Then they will be open on Wednesday the 17th, and Wednesday, the 24th, is a closing day. So uh, it's a very, very unique and uh, and uh, special place to go, and I highly advise you do that. Well, uh, let's take a look at the races that we handicapped with oddsmaker Ed Meyer uh, last week. We'll start on the West Coast, seven furlongs, the Del Mar Debutante. Now, this race has launched many a fine filly into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And in this race, that was a horse I picked on top. Sunset Glow kind of stalked and waited on the inside turn. This race at seven furlongs. Uh, went between horses and fought to the finish. Wesley Ward, he's a guy I know that we'll see down at Keeneland. As usual, he's got a barn full of hot two-year-olds. Uh, but Sunset Glow looks very impressive. Uh, 
Right behind, though, was her eminency who really fought back. He had to work to win the race, or she, rather. Her eminency was second, and then in the third spot, it was back to Conquest Eclipse. Uh, in Up at Saratoga, the Bernard Baruch, well, this is good news. It'll be good news for Keeneland, too, uh, because uh, next stop for Wise Dan will be at Keeneland before he goes on to the Breeders' Cup. Fantastic comeback race after the battle with Colic. Uh, John Velasquez gave him just an outstanding trip, and uh, it was a close one. It was not easy. Uh, optimizer, long shot, a 29 to 1, went five wide, and he just missed. And uh, uh, just behind him was Five Iron, who the horse we stated would be the pace setter, was the pace setter. Uh, he led on and he fought on one heck of a race. They can't wait to see Wise Dan in person when we get out back, I should say, to Keeneland Racing live. And then the uh, the four go stakes was another one that we took a look at last week. And the winner here was Palace, who's usually best at six furlongs. This was seven furlongs, dove to the inside at the eighth pole and ran away with it by three and a half lengths. Second spot was Big Business. Third was Vijack. And then what uh, probably uh, was one of the more exciting races of the week, it was on paper and it certainly was on the track, and that was the grade one $600,000 Woodward Stakes from Saratoga. We all knew that uh, Moreno would have a target on his back, and he did. He looked to be the lone speed, but trainer Eddie Plessa decided to add blinkers to It's My Lucky Day, and that gamble paid off. It's My Lucky Day ran closer than usual to the pace. He stalked Moreno. Those two kind of hooked together as they straightened out into the lane, and then the Donnybrook began because five different times down the lane, they exchanged bumps. And uh, there, were, uh, there was definitely an inquiry into the race, and there was an object- objection by Junior Alvarado. But uh, quite frankly, both of them bumped each other all the way down the lane, and uh, the winner was It's My Lucky Day. Welcome back. The move to the blinkers worked. Again, Moreno did hold on for the second spot, and uh, in third was Prayer for Relief. Well, that's a look at the, the news of the week and what happened last week, and in just a minute after this break, we're going to be talking with the president of Keeneland, Bill Thompson. You're listening to Winning Ponies. school to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with us right now, I'm honored to introduce uh, Bill Tomlinson, who became president and chief executive officer of Keeneland two years and three days ago. And he's done an outstanding job there. Uh, of course, he's one of many U of K graduates that we've had on this show. Um, he worked uh, with uh, Mill Ridge Farm that I want to find out a little bit about. I could go on about the fact that he's a member of the Jockey Club, a trustee of the American Horse Council, board member of the National Thoroughbred Racing Association and the Thoroughbred Racing Association. But let's face it, you don't get to be uh, the top guy at Keeneland unless you've got a pretty good resume. Uh, Bill Thomason, welcome to Winning Ponies. John, thank you. Glad to be there, and I'm glad you didn't talk about those other things. We've got a lot more things to talk about. We, we we really do. Well, uh, as anyone that listens to the show on a regular basis knows that uh, I've always said that if racing was a religion, Keeneland would be the Vatican. So I guess I'm lucky enough to kind of be speaking to racing's pope this evening. Well, uh, I, I don't know whether I'm there, but I'm, I am privileged to be a part of an organization that has racing at its core. Uh, the racing, John, and what it means uh, around the country and uh, our emphasis on the animal itself and on the horse and on the athlete uh, and everything that surrounds it, it's all we do. So it, it makes it so much fun. We've got no conflicting mission. We've got nothing else we've got to worry about. And, and uh, it, there's a reason that we're able to keep our focus like we do. And, and it shows. But, Bill, before we get into all the, the exciting things that are going on at Keeneland, the track surface, the sale, the upcoming Breeders' Cup, can you tell our audience a little bit about your private involvement with Thoroughbreds and kind of how you got into the game? Well, I've got a finance background, John. I mean, I spent 20 uh, – I started out, I'm a, I'm a CPA by trade. I, I spent 28 years, though, with Alice Chandler at Millridge Farm. And Alice Chandler's father was Hal Price Headley, who was one of the founders of Keeneland. So I kind of grew up at the Keeneland foot of the cross, if you will. And I, <laughs> uh, every of uh, the things that I learned and the things that have been so important in my career, we have always placed everything that had to do with the equine athlete in the forefront of every decision that we made. Uh, we didn't worry about how much it cost. We didn't worry about 
how we went about it. Was it right for the animal? And, and if it's right for the horse and if it's the right thing for horse racing, then uh, decisions became very simple. Uh, so I was with Millridge for 28 years, uh, Keeneland a couple of years as CFO, and then uh, have been uh, blessed to be a part of the CEO for the last couple of years. And you said it right. It's, a, it's the mecca of thoroughbred racing in the heart of the thoroughbred industry, and it's a special place to be. Well, you talk about what's doing right for the horse, and obviously a major decision has been percolating there for the last few years. And the fact that you have now unveiled the new dirt racing surface, and I know that that the way that you have put it in from the articles I have read, it's state of the art. You've got a you've got a dirt surface that's unlike really any other one that's ever been created. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what went into it and then the fact that uh, you, you've got things in there like GPS that nobody ever thought would be involved in uh, the, build, the building of a uh, course? Well, I've, I've created a, uh, quite a few chuckles when, I, when we all talk about state-of-the-art dirt. It's, uh, those <laughs> things don't quite seem to go together, but they really have. We've, we've been thinking about this for a long time. You know, we're proud of the safety record of what our polytrack did, John. And, um, we, we feel like we've set a standard around America that everybody's tried to do in the, in the care uh, of our equine and human athletes. And, you know, the problem is it just didn't catch on. You know, the synthetic surfaces just, uh, they, they didn't become the predominant surface, which is what we wanted. So if we're not going to be able to be a part of the synthetic uh, surface uh, in, in America, then we wanted to be a part of uh, what we would consider to be uh, a revolutionary, if you will, and, and working with other tracks around the country to make dirt racing as safe as it can possibly be. So there's been a tremendous amount of research that's gone into this, and and really until people get into it, the science that goes into dirt, it's, um, it, it's so much about consistency, and it's consistency in uh, the subsurface, the base that's there, the moisture, the depth of the cushion, uh, the science of the track is is really what creates a safe surface. Um, so we worked with experts over the years uh, in conjunction with Mick Peterson, who's been the leading kind of expert, along with our new track superintendent, uh, Javier Barajas, who's, who's got 38 years' worth of practical experience in the business, one of the best track supervisors in the country. So we're mixing science and practical knowledge. So, yes, we've got... GPS technology we use, which we're able to drive around the track during during uh, after racing hours, measure the depth of cushion of the track. That's what this GPS laser technology does. Actually, take that GPS technology, put it on our grader to keep the the depth of the racetrack to within a quarter to a half an inch of the exact same depth. We're using sophisticated. Uh, technology to measure moisture content of the dirt itself so that around the entire surface we're able to keep consistent moisture uh, content around the track at all times. So that's one of the keys. And uh, listen, it's, it's, it's interesting. The science is interesting. The practical nature is interesting. Uh, but I'll tell you, the most exciting thing for me is we're just kind of getting started again. Uh, in working with other tracks around the country so that we're all safer. And that, that's what matters to us. Well, I've been hearing the uh, the reviews from the horsemen are good. And uh, 
I do believe that for those that do like to stretch their legs going easy in the morning, you still have the lower training track, which is poly track. Am I correct? We do. We do. We're keeping our five foot long poly track. Um, people have asked me a number of times, what do you do with 16,000 tons of poly track uh, that we took off the surface, which was in excellent shape? And uh, it's gone into riding arenas, walking rings, those kind of things. And uh, we've kept it so that next year we're going to be able to come in and rejuvenate uh, our training track. But we are. We, we think we're going to have the best of best world, best worlds with the poly track and uh, then having a dirt uh, main track surface. Well, everything that Keenan's ever done has been top shelf, and of course, the uh, the premier horse sale of, of the world is is going to be coming up starting on Monday. Um, I've looked at the book; the 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 strength of, of quality is, as always, uh, just phenomenal. Uh, can you maybe explain to us a little bit about how you tweaked it last year, and it really showed signs of success? You know, we did. Uh, last year, we tweaked it and made the whole um, the, the whole first week, you know, the book one. Uh, this year, it's, it's, it's a little under 800 heads, so it's a little around 200 horses a day, uh, all spread out in quality throughout the entire four days. Uh, and you're right, John, when you look through the catalog, the quality of the catalog is extraordinary. When you look at the pedigrees and all of the grade one producers uh, that are there, our, our team has spent uh, since early in the year, inspecting horses all over the world to bring them here. Um, what we found last year is that here's here's a market where we bring people in from 50 different countries. So our buyers know that they're getting ready to come to a special place. Uh, we've accumulated some of the best horses in the world that are that are going to be here. Uh, I've traveled all during the summer, and our sales teams traveled all over the world, and they they couldn't be more excited around the world about. Uh, we we've got a shortage of horses. You know we've got we've got a lot of people who are looking for really good horses, and just the buzz around the sale, especially this year, has been terrific. Well, it, it looks like uh, from from what we've looked uh, around the world and to to other sales that have already kicked off that uh, that the, there is there is a strength in the market for sure. And uh, excitingly enough, a lot of the the young sires who's uh, uh, first crop is starting to take off. They're very uh, well represented. Um, I've kind of uh, always told people that even if you don't have money to bid on a horse, that it's just a marvelous environment uh, to be and, and to see and, and kind of soak it up. It, it, the the way the entire sale is presented is, is just in a beautiful fashion. Well, it's it is one of those sales. There, there's absolutely nothing like it. You know, from start to finish, we've got an over 240 or so different sires that are represented at the sale. Um, the, the first week is obviously just, just incredible quality at top to bottom. But, you know, the thing that we've really found uh, since the since really the adjustment happened 2007, 2008, the quality of horses that we're seeing come to the auctions, uh, auctions extraordinary. So the depth uh, of the sale from beginning to end especially with all of the different buying groups that we've got coming in at different parts of the sale from start to finish. Um, the, the thing that's really been impressive to me, and after doing this for 30-plus years of watching it, uh, gosh, at the end of the sale, when you look at back and, the, and, the, and the, the ring is just packed with people trying to find, you know, still to the last horse in the ring, uh, trying to find that yearling that they've been looking for. So, and they're from all over. And it's just, uh, I love the excitement and I love the depth 
and uh, and we're looking forward to a great September. Well, I've always urged uh, our, our our listeners to go. Well, let's uh, let's take now a look at that 300-pound gorilla in the corner. I'm sure in your two-year tenure, uh, you've had many a conversation with the officials from the Breeders' Cup, and it looks like it's actually going to happen. I'm, I know most people said, "Ah, the Breeders' Cup will never come to Keeneland. We just..." We're not a big enough venue, but uh, somehow it looks like uh, you, you've been able to to mold the format of that a little bit, and and you you were able to pull it off. I, I think it's going to be amazingly exciting uh, for people from coast to coast. Uh, to tell us some of the things you're going to do to be the world's best host. Well, the excitement around the it, it's humbling, actually. The excitement around the country and and um, and around the world is just is is phenomenal. Uh, people are excited about coming to the horse capital of the world. We we never had a had a vision on being the biggest breeders cup. If we wanted to announce record attendance uh, with the with the demand that we know we're going to have, we we could do that. But our our interest has been in providing a great experience to fans, great experience to our horsemen, the absolute best venue possible for competition for our horses. Uh, we're going to add some premium seating, John. It's going to be. Um, if you're familiar with Keeneland, we've got some opportunities uh, that, that come from our kind of our grandstand, existing grandstand around the final turn. So we're going to be adding some temporary facilities, but they're going to be very, very nice. Um, we are going to make sure that we're providing exactly the kind of experience that people have come uh, have become used to at Keeneland uh, in our guest experience and, and making it special and getting people next to the horses and it is really, really going to be a fun, special atmosphere. Uh, uh, Bill, some people have asked me, and I, I'm pretty sure it is not in your plans. There, there's not going to be any use of the infield on Breeders' Cup Day, is there? We are not. We are not going to use the infield. Uh, when, when you look out across that uh, iconic infield and kind of seeing the beautiful scenery that's all around Keeneland, uh, Number one, we can't get in there really conveniently for the fans, and number two, that's just not that's not a place we wanted to use. Well, it, it's it's going to be uh, very very ex- exciting for sure. Um, as far as now, let's just say you know uh, Joe Sixpack wants to try to get in. Obviously, you do have standing room. Uh, has the fire marshal told you you're allowed to have X thousand people in addition to the seats that you've had? No, they haven't. John, we're getting ready to finalize all of the seating arrangements. But, you know, we've done so many unique things around Keeneland. Uh, we're going to be able to put a certain number of people that are going to be up next to the track uh, and with direct experience with the horses. But we've got so many other venues that have been so popular. We have tailgating areas that are going to have huge televisions in them uh, with, with opportunities for wagering. Uh, we've got the Hill, which has been uh, so popular with all of our young people and families. Uh, what we call the Meadow, which is a which is a beautiful place. It's going to be the same thing. Um, our entertainment center. Uh, we're going to be utilizing uh, 1,100 acres of some of the most beautiful land around in Central Kentucky. Uh, so we'll have we'll have a certain number of people that we'll be able to comfortably accommodate uh, inside the gates and up next to the track, and then we're going to have a whole lot of opportunities for different types of experiences around the ground. So. Uh, anyone who's in town and anyone who can be here, there's going to be a place for them to be. 
Well, uh, we've been talking with Keeneland President and CEO, uh, Bill Tomlinson. Bill, I know whatever you do, it, it, it's going to be first class. Uh, uh, Keeneland is de- definitely a destination place for any horse player. Uh, and if you have not experienced, they need to get out and experience. And I, I, I is, Anybody will tell you I'm one of your best cheerleaders. And also, I just want to tell you what a great staff you have. Uh, Amy Gregory and Amy Owens couldn't help us in the press any better than uh, 12 people at any other track in the country. So you've surrounded yourself not only with beautiful surroundings, but with some great people. John, it's great being on with you tonight, and I appreciate all those kind words about the Keeneland team. They are indeed the best in the, in the world. All right. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Keeneland President and CEO Bill Thomason. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to one of our favorite handicappers from the Daily Racing Forum, Byron King. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball, deep right field. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and back with us, one of my favorite handicappers, and I've had a lot of people uh, compliment him on his spots here on Winning Ponies, and it's Byron King. Of course, he's a native of Louisville, Kentucky, so I figured with not only one but two Kentucky tracks open this weekend, I'd tap him for his knowledge about uh, what he knows uh, across the street there at uh, Churchill Downs and a a place I know where he's actually going to be this weekend, and that's going to be at the old dueling grounds, uh, now known as Kentucky Downs. So with no further ado, let's go to one of my favorites, Byron King, how are you? I'm great, John. How are you, my friend? I feel good. I mean, it's been it's been a, a fun summer. We've had some extremely uh, 
great races. Um, kind of a little little tug of the tug of the heart over the weekend in seeing uh, the the farewell to, to Tom Durkin. Uh, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I follow race callers pretty closely, and uh, he uh, is just unbelievable. I, I mean, I think as he said in one of his interviews, he goes, you know. I got a lot of Irish in me, and we're pretty good storytellers. And if you go back and really listen to his calls, it's not just da 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 da. This horse is here. This horse is there. He really always painted a beautiful picture, and it's sad to see him leave us. Yes, he was outstanding, and um, you know it's very rare, I think, in this day and age to say that somebody is just so far superior to to someone else and that's that's not to slight the other great race callers out there that people might like but as you mentioned you know tom durkin just he 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 painted a picture you know you could i th- i've always said this was the best way to judge an announcer would be if you didn't watch the race and you just closed your eyes and listened to it uh, how how good of an impression of the race would you get? And not only would he give you a great call, but he would infuse drama when there is drama. It was never, uh, he would infuse comedy, and at the same time, it always felt genuine. So it didn't feel like false enthusiasm over a four-horse, you know, uh, ten-claimer, you know. Uh, So, uh, and that was one of the things. He also had the privilege of calling some tremendous races, but, you know, he prepared in advance, you know, he kind of thought of scenarios before they would happen, you know, and, and, and that's to his credit. It was never cookie cutter. No, no, it really wasn't. And, you know, uh, they he kind of did a countdown over his final week, you know, uh, the best of Dirk, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite. No, that was my favorite. No, that was my favorite. I mean, uh, just the, the the way that you could tell it was creative, you know, you could tell it wasn't like uh, – he, he he wrote down a scenario because so many times the words that came out of his mouth is like there's no way you could prepare for that. He was he was just great, and I really thought uh, that his that his farewell. I was waiting to find out who the person was he was going to say. I think he might have been talking to me because he said from the OTB parlors in Syracuse, New York, to the tracks in Ohio, it was you, you, the racing fan. I just thought that was a sensational way to bow out. Oh, perfect, isn't it? I mean, you think about so many, you know, award ceremonies we've seen where these people drone on thanking all these people, not that they don't deserve it, but in the end, isn't it, you know, your fans and your the people that, without the fans, there would be no game. There would be no horse racing. It would be uh, a few horses running in a circle for... Very small purses split up among the owners themselves, you know, and thank goodness we have the fans. And, um, you know, I think that's quite um, quite a, a testament to his uh, appreciation for the sport and the kind of person he is, that that's who he thought to thank. And um, he will be sorely missed. It's very hard to replace him. Of course, they've... They got themselves um, two very good announcers. John Ambriel is going to call uh, what would be the traditional kind of dates that he's called, um, uh, and the, uh, the winter time dates for the most part. And then, of course, Larry Colmus, who has been calling at Churchill Downs uh, only just recently began, uh, will be leaving Churchill Downs next year and, and heading off to to Naira to call. So uh, Larry Colmus now has 
probably the most desired job in all of, of racing, um, getting to call Gulfstream Park in the winter, Naira um, during the spring, summer, and fall, and, of course, getting to call the Triple Crown and Breeders' Cup. I mean, uh, you want to talk about a good gig, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> those are some good ones there, you know. And, and, and deservedly so, and uh, and he'll be fine, and he's his own man, but uh, a tip of the cap to Tom Durkin for ma- making so many of us uh, have our hearts pound through the lane and so many of the great races that he called, so he, he, he will be sorely missed. Now, before we get on to, to our handicapping, which I know is the main reason I got you here, I just kind kind of wanted to get your read on the comparison, perhaps, between California Chrome and Shared Belief. I was really hoping Shared Belief was going to go to the Parks uh, race, uh, the Pennsylvania Derby, but it looks like they've decided to just kind of stay where they're at because that's where they're going to race. Uh, what, what, what are your feelings about these two horses and the, the potential, of perhaps, when they do meet? Well, I think it's extremely exciting. I mean, I, I, I truly have just been, um, have been awestruck by Shared Belief's uh, recent performances. I mean, he just absolutely just uh, blew away the competition in the Pacific Classic, albeit, you know, with a favorable scenario where uh, Game on Dude was pushed into a ridiculously fast pace, and, and I'm not sure of the 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 quality of the of those horses out there, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, he won for fun and he beat older horses, which is something that, of course, California Chrome we've yet to see that he can or cannot do. We we, we will find out sooner or later, but uh, it will be eagerly anticipated. And I think, you know, provided this what seemed like a slam dunk for California Chrome as far as a becoming three year old champion is not uh, anymore. I think you know you have a situation where if the other horse were to go on and win the Breeders' Cup, that being shared belief, um, the classic, I think he might, yeah, I think he'd win it. I, 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 I have uh, to agree with you. Not? you. I really yeah, do. I mean, and no knock against California Chrome, but if, if that's the way the scenario plays out, um, I, knowing the minds of uh, most of the guys that vote on that, I, I got a feeling that's the way they'd go too. Well, I wanted to get your read on it. Well, well, uh, I know a lot of our listeners, because you've had quite success in the past when you've been on this show, are listening because they want to know who you like in uh, some of the upcoming races. Again, two Kentucky tracks opening up this weekend. Let's start with the one in your backyards. Uh, these are baby races that have launched some pretty nice horses. Uh, the the uh, they're saving the the fillies for the second race, so the boys will go to post in the Iroquois. Now, five of these horses are are coming out of stakes races, but none of them are uh, you know were earth shattering uh, performances. Uh, this kind of leaves it open to maybe one of these horses that, uh, that that just broke their maiden. I mean, I can't help but loving a horse named Danny Boy. I used to have to sing that song while my aunt Rose Breslin played the piano. Um, the uh, it looks like. Uh, D. Wayne probably has, as far as quality is concerned in this lightly raced bunch, uh, Mr. Z's probably the one to beat in here. He is certainly the most accomplished, battle-tested horse. He was second in the Sanford, second in the Saratoga Special behind I Spent It, who just um, recently returned to be uh, second uh, in the, the hopeful. So uh, he lost to a very legitimate horse. He has nice 
pedigree and shows a bullet workout. Uh, he's certainly the accomplished horse in the race. Hashtag Bourbon was a very impressive winner of the Mountaineer Juvenile. Uh, but the big question we have here, John, and this is one of the uh, first tests, not the very first one, but one of the first ones, going two turns on dirt in Stakes Company of the Year. And so in the old days, it used to be the cradle at River Downs. You That's right. Remember how that that one would be the first one? It would so it would seem so often, um, but um, anyway, now the Iroquois is a mile sixteenth race. It used to be a mile race. They would run in the fall, and um, they've positioned it as a prep for the the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and it's a win and you're in. And but what I found is with lower or, or excuse me younger horses is that there's not as much of a of a class advantage for those that have stakes experience versus those that have, say, raced in very good maiden races, so such as those at Saratoga, for example. Um, they just usually you go from a maiden race into a stakes race, so there's not a, a huge difference. Obviously, it's it's a much tougher test when you're talking about an older horse who's who's stepping up, or a three-year-old that maybe's taken on one that's run ten times, but all these horses. Have run, I think, three or fewer times. Or there's one here with four. So uh, I took a horse that I thought would uh, fit the profile of a horse that's very classy, but who hasn't yet run in a stakes race, and therefore maybe you'll slip past the public a little bit. And that is Bold Conquest. It's a horse that was second first time out at Saratoga at five and a half furlongs, and then was stretched out to six and a half furlongs and narrowly won in a game performance, uh, just a really good-looking uh, effort from just off the pace. He is the son of Curlin, and he's trained by Steve Asmussen, who, of course, trained Curlin. So uh, that is always, I think, a little bit of an advantage for a trainer. But Curlin, as we well know, you know, Breeders' Cup Classic winner, uh, Preakness winner, um, he, he could go and run all day. So um, hopefully if Bold Conquest can take after him and stretch out, I think he might be a, a little bit of a mild upsetter in the Iroquois. Well, I know that uh, Byron King from the Daily Racing Forum is a guy that likes a price. So let's see uh, if uh, we can we can find one in the next race, uh, which is the, the ladies' uh Pocahontas, grade two, they're going to be asked to go a mile on the 16th. Uh, there's 10 fillies in here, no stakes winners. Uh, seven of them are going long for the first time. And then there are three of them that are, co- that are coming off wins in their debut. Uh, that makes for a, a pretty mixed bag of, of, of runnings in here. Uh, it seems to me that, uh, again, as I stated in the last race, D. Wayne Lucas has, seems to have one with a slight edge in class with uh, Take Charge Brandy, but I wouldn't be surprised if you came up with somebody that thought that uh, they could knock the crown off that princess. I, I do. I, I'm taking a horse, similar angle, uh, as a maiden winner that I think uh, has potential to be a stakes-quality horse. Um, this horse's name is Pangburn, who is... Um, also, like my prior selection, is going to have Joel uh, Rosario in the irons. And this is a horse that won first time out at Ellis Park. And you may say, well, Ellis Park, and you know, uh, how does that translate to here, running in a graded stakes? Uh, but over the years, we've seen a lot of good horses run 
in those mild turf races at Ellis Park, as this horse did, and go on to do very good things. And Kenny McPeak, this Phillies trainer, has a long history of doing that. And what I found interesting about this horse, and one of the things I like to do when I handicap a race, is if it's a trainer that I respect, I like to look at his reasoning for how he arrived at the race. So, in other words, this horse breaks his maiden on July the 12th on the turf. Most people would take the very conservative option and run the horse back in another turf race. So he takes the horse up to Saratoga, works him five times, or her, I should say, five times on the dirt. But rather than run in a turf stakes, which would have been the P.G. Johnson for fillies and mares, he says, let's take a shot here in the Pocahontas, grade two on the dirt. Let's see if we can win this. And I think that kind of boldness coming from a trainer that's been highly successful is a very encouraging sign. And uh, having looked up this horse's pedigree, it's by congrats out of a yes-it's-true mare who uh, was a dirt horse. I don't think this horse necessarily won at Ellis Park first out because it simply liked the grass. I think it just wanted a distance of ground. And it was a very good race by Ellis Park standards, certainly not a, the quality of a Saratoga maiden race, but the second and third place horses uh, did come back to immediately win. So uh, a lot of reasons to be encouraged by this horse. I love to see that. I also noticed that uh, this horse might have been looking at something on the East Coast because uh, after that July win, Kenny brought that horse up to Saratoga. I mean, exactly. it was a bullet working on the training track, and it had several, uh, you know, back-to-back-to-back work. So, uh, you know, this horse, uh, kind of interesting that Kenny probably, you know, looked at the condition book, maybe looked at the uh, the competition and uh, be a good time to get your horse grade two status. So I find that very interesting that Kenny brought that horse from Ellis to Saratoga and is now bringing it back to Louisville. That's right. So he went all the way up to Saratoga, and all he came back with was um some um, um, uh, bills for van rides, you know. So uh, hopefully uh, this is the payoff here. So I think, you know, he had to be encouraged enough by those dirt works to say, hey, let's pass the P.G. Johnson on the grass there at Saratoga and try this instead. I think um, that is the case. Now, of course, sometimes we're not privy to all the inside details. Uh, I did talk to Kenny about this horse, but... As we well know, sometimes, you know, um, owners will get the fever and they, everybody dreams of a, of a Derby Oaks kind of horses. They don't dream of winning the, the, you know, a $200,000 turf stake in, 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 uh, <laughs> in the first week of May. So, uh, or the, so, Sometimes that plays a factor, but uh, and that's not to say that that's the case here, but um, there's always a few horses in a stakes race that are, uh, I'm sure the owners had to give a little urging to their trainers to run. Well, maybe, maybe uh, Kenny's a meteorologist, too, and he decided uh, I don't want any part of that uh, spinaway that's going to be run in a, in a quagmire up there at Saratoga, so I'm going back closer to my home base. Speaking of home bases, your home base this weekend is going to be a place I absolutely love. We've had Corey Johnson on Winning Ponies on several occasions, and that is Kentucky Downs. And we got a derby there. It's not run at a mile and a quarter. It's run at a mile and five-sixteenths, of course, for anybody that uh, doesn't realize it. 
Kentucky Downs is nothing but a turf course, uh, rain or shine. So you're going to be based down there. Got an interesting uh, group of horses here um, uh, in in this uh, Dueling Grounds Derby. Uh, the 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 ones that have me kind of looking the most is. Of course, Graham Motion, you'll worry about him any time he's in there. We can't help believe in the Irish bread. And then you've got this, you know, hot young uh, Dylan Van Dyke uh, is is, going to ride for Tom Proctor, who he's already won some stakes with uh, on Global View. And my only question mark is uh, a metal count could be dangerous. The question mark is I'm not sure what the heck happened in the Haskell. This horse is only a race uh, on a turf course. Uh, was was a winning effort at seven and a half. But as you know, there's no track like Kentucky Downs as far as trying to figure out how to ride it. <laughs> That's for sure. It is very unique. And for those that haven't been there, it is uh, it's shaped kind of like a, a pear laying on its side would be the best way to describe it. If you were to very take the, the, the fat part of the pear, that would be the, the, the final turn there. So wide sweeping final turn and a pretty sharp, Kind of first turn, you know, and, so, a, and a stretch uh, run that takes two cameras to film it. Exactly, and so if you're on the lead, it seems like the wire will never come, uh, and so they will. You'll be watching it, uh, and you'll be watching the first camera shot, which is set up at about the eighth pole, and you're thinking, "Oh, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. I got it. Got it. Got it." And then all of a sudden, they'll cut to the other one, and you realize, "Oh, I got another furlong to hold on." So, uh, but the beauty of that is, I guess, if you're betting one that's coming on, you've got the, uh, you, you've always got hope, right? So, uh, but it's a very unique course and um, uh, distinctive, you know, and I don't think it's, uh, its base is quite like some of the others uh, across the, um, the country. Let's hope uh, there's a threat of rain on Saturday, which always scares me with Kentucky Downs. Um, Obviously, they don't have the the ability to take races and and move them to a dirt course because they don't have a dirt course. So, I hope that it's you know just sprinkles or or, or light rain because it would certainly be disappointing if you know if there was a cancellation, which seems to happen to them. Oh, I don't know. Once every couple of years, something like that. Once every two or three years. Well, you know? let, let's hope it doesn't happen. My my producers tell me I've only got three minutes. I'm going to try to squeeze in the Super Derby too. Who do you okay. like in the Derby? Well, uh, in the Dueling Grounds Derby or the Super Derby? I'm sorry, my friend. Oh, the the, the Dueling Grounds Derby. We'll the Dueling Grounds Derby, first, I'd like to we'll head out to Louisiana. A metal count is my choice in the Dueling Grounds Derby. It was third in the Belmont, inconsistent on dirt. But I think sometimes these turf horses, when they try to run them on dirt, that's where they show that inconsistency. And sometimes... You get them back on the turf, and you'll you'll see a little more. So I'm going to forgive the Haskell. As for the Super Derby, uh, I think it's a pretty light field for a grade uh, two, to be perfectly honest with you. And Absolutely. I really think that Vickers in trouble, um, although he's not the favorite. Uh, excuse me, he is the favorite. I, I really just see him as a clear class standout. The, the rest of those, I think, are kind of... Uh, in that grade three kind of caliber, the better ones. Uh, and he, in my mind, as the Louisiana Derby winner and having run in some, some very good races and kept some good company is, is the class of the race. Uh, absolutely. I mean, when I go over this, my highlighters, I didn't have any odds in front of me, but I figured the horse would be first or second. Uh, when you look at the only horse in the race that has 
six consecutive graded stake starts, it's, it's Vickers in trouble. And what's interesting is is uh, he's going to be reunited with Rosie Napravnik, who won the LeCompte and the Louisiana Derby on this horse. So Mike Maker was able to get her services. I, I think that's a huge tip. I think it's a big plus. Clearly, she gets along very well with uh, Vickers in trouble. And that's not to say that the other jockeys did not. I think this horse ran a very good race in the West Virginia Derby when he was third. He was beaten two lengths by Tapature and Candy Boy. I think he ran his race, to be honest with you. He earned a 98 buyer, but they were better than him. But the big key is those horses are not in the Super Derby. So uh, (laughs) that always helps. Um, So he is facing Jessica Starr, though, who did beat him in the Iowa Derby. Uh, but that race was run on a sloppy track. I think on a fast track, I think uh, Vickers in Trouble is the, the superior animal. All right. Well, we've been listening to Byron King, one of the top cappers from the Daily Racing Forum. You can read him online, and you can read him with uh, your ink-stained fingers in the Daily Racing Forum that we sell at the racetrack every day. Byron, thanks so much for being with us on Winning Ponies. My pleasure, John. You have a great night, my friend. Okay, and I have had a great night, not only talking to Byron and listening to him and his picks, but also I want to thank uh, Bill Tomlinson, the president and CEO of Keeneland, for telling us about everything that's going to be coming up out there. And I thank you, the listeners, because you're the ones that make this game go. So it's time to close it out. I'm looking across the manicured turf course across the Ohio River to the hills of the Kentucky. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.